Lancaster Bible College community, this is Dr. Dan Spanger and Dr. Mark Draper. Um, we are here representing the Alcuin Society. For those of you that are familiar with us um, in years past, maybe even the first time we went through a symposium this past year, Alcuin Society is a scholarly society of uh, LBC faculty. And our main responsibility usually is to deliver papers from our academic fields, to sort of show you what we're doing, to give our community a chance to interact around our own academic materials. And then also to host the symposiums in the fall, which are to take central issues relevant to our students and then give us a chance to have a community conversation. Um, we had the request not too long ago from another faculty member in a department that maybe the Alcuin Society ought to take some time to address the Ukraine-Russian war as it's going on, um, which I thought was really wise and Dr. Draper did also. We, we were thinking that um, one thing our community needs is a chance to process this in a godly and thoughtful way. Uh, most of the things happening in our in our culture and our community globally are being filtered through a rather polarized, um, a rather um, volatile press. And a lot of our students, I think all of us, are sort of trapped underneath this avalanche, right, of information and news and interpretation. And it gets hard to navigate what's going on and why is it happening. And Dr. Draper, I just before we go into maybe some guides for this and where this is going, I want to just, I want to look at that just briefly with you for a minute. Because I think what I find as I teach students here is that they have to come to the realization that what they're getting from the news press has mm. agendas behind it. It mm. has biases behind it. And there's this really hard work to not accept necessarily what feels like an avalanche of monolithic approaches. Like, yeah. this is here's the reason why all of this is happening. And then you become overwhelmed. You then become convinced before you've had a chance to actually look at yeah. what's actually going on. And this, is, this has been true in a lot of domestic issues as well. But... I think we're seeing a lot of this also in the Ukrainian issue. This is a little different situation I think we're into because we're actually, both sides are using, all sides are using information as a weapon. Yeah. Um, there's, you, we've now moved into where even warfare, you can use information to move mountains yeah, yeah. Uh, and create narratives. And so part of what's hard for this one is the Russian government has been very good at this. They've mastered this ability with yeah. bot farms and things like this. And of course, we know about our own polarization mm -hmm. in our own society, um, and so it's very hard. There's there's so much information out there, you, you just don't know what to believe. And I think really what this is intending to do oftentimes is to make us so uh, unsure yeah. is that we just throw up our hands and say, well, I don't know. Yeah, and right. then therefore, the people who want to kind of move in those spaces can do that. And there's entire theories about information and warfare, and it's different, right? When we study World War II, you want to use propaganda, hmm. you drop the bomb with leaflets. Right, right. Right. And now you send tweets or you post stories or there's all sorts of stuff right. like this. And and even too, I think the other thing that makes this complicated, you and I are historians, we study this stuff, and you and I have kind of found that you know, you talk to five historians, yeah. you get seven different understandings right. of right. what's actually happening right. there. And then you get the fog of war. And, and right. so what we really want to do is sort of one, help them understand historically how this is working, but then also through the library is help them start to think about, well, how do I, once I'm not at LBC, how do I start <laughs> to evaluate stories and how do I think Christianly yeah, about these? Yeah. And maybe this is the first generation that's had to face mm. this issue in this way. Right. Um, no, I think so that's, that's true. And I, I think the other thing that's complicating this is not only do the media, most of the media have a preset bias, which is not a problem. They have their theories about what they think is happening and why they think this war is happening. But that, where that gets bolstered is by this direct media where you've got people like cell phones and taking pictures. Yeah. And you actually think because you're seeing a, a picture on the ground, you actually know what's going on. There's this interesting event that yeah. I just read in an article where it shows 
after the invasion started, so to President Zelensky of the Ukraine, having a cup of coffee with some of the soldiers. And the idea was while Kiev is being bombed, here he is at peace, you know, talking, and it really showed strength, except the picture came was actually taken from well before the war, mm -hmm. and then it was promoted. And, and two, also what's coming through social media and people taking pictures is only one half or quarter or third or tenth of the story. Yeah. Because you think you have a direct beeline of what's going on, you feel like you know what's going on. Yeah. And I want to I say, Dr. Draper, that maybe there's a few things we can help with this conversation and the one we're going to have possibly next week, hope to have next week, is a few cautionary tales about this. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of them being that if, if we let these narratives sort of overwhelm us, um, we start to react to the situation probably in unhealthy ways. Yeah. And that, that's a policy issue. The government needs to actually pay attention. But I think even personally, um, the way that we engage with the material, if we get caught up in these narratives very quickly and we stop being discerning mm -hmm. and wise, then we stop either understanding the situation, we start judging it differently, we start judging the people involved differently rather than having some sober understanding. And I, I think there has to be a call here, Dr. Draper, for us as Christians, as you mentioned, to actually be sober thoughtful, discerning digesters of information and material yeah. so that we don't find ourselves in this overreaction. I mean, one of the things I think you and I know from history is that it's most of the things that have led to the most violent wars are overreactions to mm -hmm. problems. I yeah. think even the German reaction to uh, the German uh, uh, violence in World War II was a well-thought-out reaction to socialist communism in Russia, yeah. and then an overreaction to it. Yeah. When the world got boiled down to all the evil is the communists trying to take over the world, we have to stop them at all costs. Yeah. And this yeah. then drove a machine and a culture to do things that later look back and say, why did we do that? Well, you got caught up in a frenzy mm -hmm. of a fairly simplified explanation of a, you said, a very complicated situation. You mentioned this before. Yeah. You simplified it down to a set of causes that made sense to you. And now that all the world was falling apart because of Stalin and the communists, it gave you the right to do whatever you had to do to stop them. Right, right. And I, I feel like what's happening in our own media, and that's what I'm nervous for my own Christian students, is that those narratives are starting to become so clear that it's taking this wildly complicated event, yeah. boiling it down to a couple set of very clear moral narratives, which is now driving our people to become very convinced, probably about something that they don't understand all that well. That's a fair point. And I think this is where... What we have to be aware of is that, so there's, there's sort of layers to this, right? So you have the combatants who are spinning narratives and right. have their understanding of history right, and right. their understanding of what's happening on the ground and who the players are. Right. And then you come out another layer and now you have the various media outlets trying right. to make sense of this and you use the term in the fog of war. So sometimes you can't even yeah, make sense no of what's actually there. happening. Uh, and, and, we're, and, and then go out another layer, we're having this war in the 21st century in a very westernized space. So everyone has cell phones, everybody has Wi-Fi, uh, they all have 5G. And someone, was a story I saw that day, they said this could be the first TikTok war. What does right? that even mean? Meaning that, in other words, this is where the, the, the videos are going to be shown on the platform TikTok, yeah, yeah. right? And, and that's, that's really uh, a scary thing, right? Yeah. The, the other thing, too, I think is, and what I try to help our students with, is really know where your sources are. So I'll give you an example. A good colleague of ours, we know, sent me a, t a tweet, a text the other day, that some famous actor, actress, I didn't know who they were, but apparently they tweeted, it's time to throw Russia out of NATO. <laughs> and, and for those that's of us thoughtful. who know, like, well, no, NATO was founded to defend against Russia. <laughs> Russia's never been part of NATO. This is the whole point, actually. Right? Of the and, and so but what you think of what happens, though, right, is 
you, you're, we now have this sort of democratization of information. So yeah. anybody can now sound off as an expert. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my word, you know, Russia's in NATO? I didn't know that. <laughs> Why don't they just throw them out of NATO? And, right. and we, you know, he and I laugh, but, and you're laughing at it, but yeah. for people who don't know and yeah. want to try to dip out of our classes and not take them, right, and, right. and you can see this. And so this is where I think historiography, narrative is very important. Yeah, that's right. And I think you and I joke about this ourselves, but we always say sometimes we leave our students more confused than <laughs> right, when we start. Right. Yeah. And it's not intentional. It's because things are more complicated than you can do in 244 characters. Yeah, right. And you do have to do some spade work to really dig down and find out, okay, what's happening here? Who are the players? How are historians understanding this? How are... Right. Uh, political scientists understanding this and also realizing that a lot of the pundits we hear may get things wrong. Uh, <laughs> I just heard that? a podcast the other day where this this scholar of, of Soviet studies, he was telling the interview, he goes, and honestly, I have to tell you, my uh, think tank got this wrong. Mm. We really did not think that mm. uh, uh, Russia would invade. Mm. So, and I thought, I appreciate it that he yeah. admitted that, right? It so doesn't I think happen that's, very often. No, it doesn't. But uh, nowadays, though, when you can rewind the tape and it's on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, you better it's do best that. to do that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I think that's where our students. And the other thing I think our students are wrestling with is, our most of our students, at least our our undergrad students. It's not our adult students, but our undergrad students were born somewhere around two thousand. Yeah. So that's about ten years after the end of the Cold War. Um, now, even though we've been at war their entire lives. Yeah. The government has really figured out a way to kind of provide guns and butter, right? Mm -hmm. they, 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 they have not been really affected by the war, unless you're a military family. Yeah, then then you've them. really been affected by it. Right. But if you're not in that, you've not been affected. Right. And so some of our students have even said to me, like, I really thought we were past this. Yeah. You yeah. know, as if we've, and again, this is that 20-year-old idealism, yeah. right? And, and they're saying, I really, I can't believe this is happening. And oftentimes when I take classes with Dr. Draper and Dr. Spanger, I know they're telling me the truth, but sometimes it just seems like a fairy tale yeah. that people would actually, you know, do yeah, those things. Yeah. And because they think we've we've evolved past that yeah. in some way. So I think that's another issue our students are wrestling with is just when they've been born and, and everything that's happened. That's true. And I'll, I'll add to that that and I want to go back to something. Well, let me let me let me add to that because I think you're making a good point. And it says those of us that know what the end of the Cold War brought to the Western mind and this idea that we've passed war was Francis Fukuyama's famous yeah. article, which I think was a book, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. The, the End yeah. of History and the Last Man, and which formed this idea that now that we've come to this neoliberal order of peace and global trade, there is no war. And it was this Stephen Pinker at Harvard's made a lot of yeah. argument that we we're in an evolutionary trajectory to bring peace and harmony and utopia. Yep. And whether or not, students, you believe that, and I think as Christians we all know that that's suspect at best, Still, the narrative of the culture has informed us that somehow Correct. killing and violence is really a thing of the past. Maybe it's a 20th century weirdness, but mm -hmm. now we've grown past it. I remember Obama saying about Putin uh, back during one of the elections that he, he doesn't belong in the 21st century, as if somehow we've evolved past this. And I yeah. think that's trickled down to our consciousness. And it has. I think of all people, Christians ought to not be surprised by this. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've told students, we've looked at Rome you know, as, a, as the, sort of the classic example of this, classic neoclassical examples of Rome. No one thought Rome was going to fall in 350, 390. But then, of course, after that point, it started to collapse rather rapidly. That, that this, this thing we see out here is the, as the sort of post-Cold War peace yeah. is not going to last. And right. whether this is where it collapses or bad economy or internal division, we ought not be surprised. And I, I think that's unnerving is that Christians would look at a scene like this and go, this can't happen. Yeah. 
I think Christians and all people go, no, no, this can happen. In fact, this is going to happen. And, and I've, I think it's going to get worse. I, I, I'm a historian, not a futurist, but there's a lot of things part of this. You know, if, if, you, if you take into breath and you take into consideration the complexities of the geopolitical constructs and the economies and societies and cultures and memories and histories, this thing is not an isolated event. This is going to have long... And this has been coming for a I long time. I just told class that today. This will affect you. We will not be the same afterwards. But it's not going to be the same. I, the, there was one, one author just, I think, in, in Foreign Affairs said that, that the, the, the polar world between two superpowers and a largely peaceful liberal globe is over. Yeah. We don't realize it yet. It's going to have long impacts. And I, I think this is why you and I are doing this, and maybe we're yeah. both coming at it from a little different reasons. But I think we're both trying to say we, it's important for Christians to find sobriety yeah. and discernment yeah. and wisdom. It is not uncommon for cultures and societies in moments like this to reduce things down, overreact, yep. and then drive decisions that are far worse than than the problems that there's, we go to there's address. There's entire history books written about how not, that happens. Right, exactly. And yeah, it's it's it's. And I, I said to this the students, I said I I I guess I was ruined as a child to ever think we were past war. <laughs> okay. I said so I grew up in a neighborhood with Holocaust survivors, yeah, right. and so you know the people who you know gave me cookies when I was five had tattoos on their arms. From Auschwitz and, mm-hmm. and places, and would tell me these stories. Mm-hmm. And of course, our grandfathers fought in World War II, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there were even some World War One people there. And the, the Holocaust people were very clear: this could happen again. They oh, always say that. Well. They yeah. always said that to me, and so I, I never could get to the point. Where... Well, you want to know why, Doctor Draper? And this is, this occurred to me yesterday too about a lot of this is that is that no one. And I want to ask you about this. So I'm doing this on mic here, but <laughs> it seems to me when I look back in history. If, if you look at all the possibilities in 1912 and 1913, war yeah. was like one of the smallest possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> yes. no, one, no one even wanted in 38 to believe that World War II was possible. But it, it always, it's, we're always in a moment where war seems like the radical outside until after it happens. And we always look back to those guys in, in quick black and white photos running around London in 1913 right. going, guys, couldn't you smell it? Couldn't you see it in the air? Mm-hmm. It's obvious. Right. But of course, at that time, it wasn't obvious, just like it's probably not obvious now. And I... I think, I, I don't know if that's where you're headed, but I, I think that's an important thing. Like, historically, this has always surprised people. Yes. yes. And yet it happens anyway. Yes. And so we need to be actually aware of what this is going to do and, and when this might come, rather than say, oh, yeah. we're beyond this, this will never happen again. That's what they were thinking, too. Everybody thinks that. Everybody right? I think there's, that, a, there's yeah. sort of a, and maybe this is part of what's been going on in America. We've kind of had this sort of, maybe we've bought into some of the utopianism. Yeah. And... As Christians, it's it's part of the catechesis in our city of man, yeah. right? This sort of utopianism that you know technology and all this, and yeah. we don't see the the under the soft underbelly yeah. of some of these things. But I, I, I kind of gave my my students are working on a paper, and I said uh, for the Civil War class, and I said you know if anyone begins a paper with the Civil War was inevitable. Yeah, yeah. I said, it's never inevitable. Yeah. For the people there, it's never inevitable. It's only inevitable for the historian right. because That's they can right. look, they have the vantage point. That's and right. I said, and the scary thing about this is you don't know how it's going to go. Right. Right? And that's that's what makes this scary. And again, in reality, this is the first time the West has seriously looked down the barrel of nuclear war since 62. Yeah, that's right. 
I mean, that's a pretty scary thought. I mean, it's not as tense as the Cuban Missile Crisis, but it's tense. It's um, certainly get there. And I think it's the other thing, too, that I saw a really funny uh, meme on social media, and it was a picture of a guy and said, I'm so tired of living through the greatest world events. Right? You just got through the, you know, the, the <laughs> most important election. You just every got storm the is named. Every storm every, is yeah. named. Mark. And now there's a war. And, and right. so there's a sense of, too, where I think there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an exhaustion factor. And I think what we want to do is help our students and help our campus to really understand we can, this is finally, we actually have history is important and, <laughs> yeah, and we, can, we can kind of we help understand the story and make sense of the, of the difficulty. But then I think also with working with the library to really say, this is an opportunity to really think about what information discernment looks right, like. Right. And it's much more complicated in That's 2022 right. than it was in 1982. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's way more complicated in 2022 than in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's just where we live. And, and I think part of having a biblical worldview and thinking Christianly is being able to do this. Yeah, I think that's right. And, let me, and I think the other thing to add to that, and I want to be very careful, because I think discerning and wise people have to do both of these. One, there is absolute certainty about the value of human life. And there's, yeah. no, there's nothing about an analysis, a realistic analysis of why things are happening and a sober response to them that ought to negate your passion and interest in the saving of every human life. Yes. Every person, every person, Ukrainian, Russian, wherever we find them, are made in the image of God. The realities of the geopolitical situations are also just real things that have to be dealt with. Yeah. And they have to be addressed and understood. And we don't mean to say that by information, you know, analysis and, and trying to do this well and trying to look at explanations that in any way it ought to infringe on that commitment. Mm -hmm. That's a full and final commitment to all life. I think what's starting to happen um, for the West, and I think this is a, this is a, this is sort of the um, bequeathed to us by the Christian heritage, is that we want to reduce war down to each individual life, and there's truth in that. Yeah, that's a reality. But that also doesn't answer the larger questions: why these things happen and how to avoid them. Yes, it 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 could be that the thing that saves lives actually is the opposite of what you think it would be. Mm -hmm. And I think historically we've all seen this. I think if you go back to any of the world wars and the two of the worlds we look backwards now. People did the things they thought was going to work. It actually made things worse, yes. right? Yes. Partly because they didn't calculate, yeah. hey, what, what's another solution? Did they get just caught up in the bloodshed to their people? Yep. Did they just get caught up in the bloodshed that was happening? Or did they think more broadly? Um, or sometimes they thought more broadly and forgot about well, the bloodshed. What is it? The, you know, the walkway to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly so. Exactly yeah, so. Yeah. And I think that really requires every Christian to be deep thinking and thoughtful. We... We ought not be the ones that overreact. We ought to be the ones that make the wise decisions, call people back to sobriety in order to make the decisions that actually impact the globe. And that means we've got to think broadly in both ways. And let me, let me say part two about that. And I hope, I hope this is helpful too. You as a student, even us from are not going to impact this really in any major way, right? Yeah. I think there's this sense through social media that if you hashtag it properly and if you stand up for people on a TikTok video, somehow you're going to turn the war around. Right. It, it, we've been told this, the youth have been told this for generations now. It's not the case. What we're, what we're asking you to do is to not get caught up in the fury without thinking through how best to respond to this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think too, maybe what, what, even when we look at the prices at the gas, at the mm -hmm. gas stations now, I think we have a generation of students who have seen justice or uh, doing the right thing, and it's been sort of Twitter activism. It's, right, it's, right. You know, if I just put the Ukrainian flag on my 
or if I on my wall or if I just tweet this and, and it's sort of it's it's really just virtue signaling yeah, that's right right but now I think there's a sense of we're actually feeling the cost of something that's happening around the world yeah. right every time you go to the gas tank you're feeling it and in the big scheme of things yeah. it's still minor compared to what people are going through that's in right. Ukraine but I think this is one of the this is one of the things I think for this generation that's so difficult that there's a real cost, right? Yeah. I mean, you and I remember as kids waiting in line for gasoline because you could only go on the other yeah. day, right? Yeah. We had that experience. Um, not a lot of our students yeah. today have never experienced anything than prosperity yeah. in many ways. I mean, yeah. we obviously we had the there's and there's plenty of students I'm sure that have had struggled individually, <laughs> absolutely. But, but overall, well. yeah. you know, 2008 was bad. It was very bad, but. Gas prices didn't reach this level. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so having these types of things, and then, of course, coming off of uh, the COVID thing has really shaped people as well. Yeah. And sh- it's shaken people. And, yeah. and so I think that's, I don't think we can disconnect these two things. No, I think it's, right. it's boom, boom, right? right? It seems like, oh, finally I can take my mask off. And <laughs> boom, now right now. Now yeah. it's $6 a gallon for gas and somebody's shooting a nuclear reactor. Right, right, um, exactly. That, that's, that is a, that's sort of very jarring. And I think so we, let's, let's do the next bit of work here. And this is just an overview. I know, um, Dr. Maybe you can speak this just for a second. I want to do just a few things here with what time we have. One is to point you to a resource a library is working on. Number yep. two, to alert you to an event that will be happening on March 25th. Um, uh, Friday after spring break, which is we're going to get a couple people in to talk through the Ukrainian event, allow people to come ask questions. Things will have changed <laughs> in the next week and a half, so we'll see exactly what that yields. But um, still, there's an, or two weeks, there's, there's an opportunity to talk through that. We'll, talk, we'll want to do that. Um, so, Dr. Aper, just before, and the last thing we want to do is just maybe look at just some historical things to help give you a sense okay. of maybe how to read. We can't give you everything at this point in time, but some things to consider as you start to read news to maybe start digesting news a little yep. bit better. But back to the, the piece of libraries, can you speak to what the library is? Yeah, so what we want to do is we want to put together a research guide that will give you some background, give you an opportunity. These are some of the sources you may want to look at if you want to understand the background of Ukraine and Russia and this mm-hmm. history. Um, what are some uh, sources you can look up for that scholars have been talking about? I mean, you and I have found stuff. People were talking about this yeah, five, six years ago. Right. Uh, and then also some helpful ways of maybe even sort of negotiating some of the news sites. That's a little more complicated. Sure, sure. Uh, but that, but as far as at least being able to be a uh, an educated consumer of information, mm-hmm. sometimes you got to go do the spade work and say, you know, maybe I need to read this article yeah. from this encyclopedia about the history of Ukraine. Right before I just accept what the talking head on CNN is saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what we do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that yeah, that's right. We're, really, we're really only putting online and showing you what Dr. Spanger and I do on a daily oh, yeah, basis. Yeah, that's what we do. Seriously, right, yeah. seriously. Yeah. I mean, we, this is how we try to negotiate this yeah. so that when we do come into class, we can help you understand things. So we were, we're going to get that up and we'll we'll uh, run that through student affairs and, and make that available to everybody. Yeah, and by the time you see this recording, it'll be attached in some way to yeah. that resource. But please pay attention. We're also going to try to post news articles we found very helpful to help cut through some of the noise on this yeah. um, to help give you some multiple perspectives. So that's what, we're, that's what we're going to do. So thank you, Dr. Draper, for bringing the library to bear on this. I think it's going to be very helpful. Then um, let's just do for a couple minutes anyway. Um, let's, try to, let's try to just unpack some of the broad broad brushstrokes, yeah. right, leading up to this event. Because I think you, you made this comment off air, and I think this is very thoughtful, that, that the government and, and society, you know, that we, we don't have a wide attention span. One issue happens, and that's, that just soaks us up. And in the last couple, last couple years with George Floyd and race issues and COVID, 
it's absorbed all of our attention. All of a sudden, Ukraine shows up in the press, and people go, "Where the heck is Ukraine?" Right. And the and it was I, on the back page. That's right. Back. But people there. say what? So people actually, I think a lot of students and probably a lot of people generally have this idea that everything was perfectly fine. Yeah. Ukraine's just sitting there minding their own business, and all of a sudden, this madman yeah. just decides I'm going to start killing people for the sake of my own glory or something like that. Right. That there's there's actually a history going back that's been very complicated and convoluted. And maybe for a minute, Dr. Draper. You can connect. You want this. to do Ukrainian history in a minute? Right. <laughs> well, maybe not Ukrainian history, but something broader, which may be even harder or easier. I don't know. But the idea of a Russia and a NATO, the idea of a Russia yes. and a Europe, yes. which ought not surprise anybody that that is a very combustible and violent relationship. Yeah. And 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 we're just talking the 20th century. Yeah. And one thing I try to tell students is you don't get a World War One unless you have 300 years of Russian expansion prior to World War One. True. And, and, I mean, in all sorts of ways, yeah. Crimean War going back, and then you've got Russian expansion towards Turkey. I mean, this goes on and on and on and on. So this is a long memory. It's mm-hmm. a long story. But take us back for a minute to, let's say, 1989 and 91, mm. the late 90s. What's happening with Germany yeah. that is starting? And now we've got the development of NATO also in the background. Could you tie these just briefly together? Yeah, yeah I think. So we're in high school. And the wall comes down, right? yeah. the Berlin Wall, and I think everyone was sort of really taken back by that. Yeah. Um, the Cold War was still real, right. um, and no one expected it to end when it did. Yeah. So I think there was that sort of like, what just happened? Here? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the Western world and the Soviet bloc seemed to be entrenched for the long haul. Right. Right. Uh, and then, of course, the the Berlin Wall comes down. And there's real debate in Europe about whether they even want to unite Germany mm. because they're very fearful of Germany still, particularly Western Europe, particularly right. France. Yeah, they have uh, good reason to be concerned. Yes, because you know it's they've just been two through world, two world wars, wars. Yeah. exactly. And you know, 1870, they still remember right. you know the Franco-Prussian War disaster. So it's it's and and we in Americans we we don't have long memories like that. Right. Europeans do. Right. And so, but they do kind of unite the two the two sides and. Our presidents, or particularly George H.W. Bush, is very influential in, in helping that happen. And now, all of a sudden, it's okay. You, you you brought Germany back together, and then within two years, the Soviet Union collapses yeah. under Yeltsin in this weird coup. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're like, what are we going to do here? And now you have all these um, Eastern European nations who. And in all fairness, Russia really did not build them up. Yeah. Uh, I, I had the fortunate uh, opportunity a couple of years ago to spend some time with a gentleman our age who was in East Germany. Mm. And it told me what it was like living there before mm. and after. Uh, so, and then all of a sudden there's this, what do we do with the Eastern Bloc? And this is where I think things get really complicated. You, And this is for historians even. I think you and I have found there are historians who want to argue that all of these Soviet former Soviet states came running to the West and yeah. saying, let us into NATO. We want to be protected from Russia. And then there's another narrative out there saying, no, you know, America and the West really saw this as an opportunity as sort of, okay, Russia lost, but now we're really going to make sure they lost yeah, the Cold yeah. War and we're going to build up NATO right up into their yeah, door. Right. Uh, and, and we got to sort through that. We'll be able to do that in some of the conversations. Uh, but so you, you have this from the 90s on, a very un- while America might have been very settled in the 90s economically, yeah. Eastern Europe was not. It was yeah. economically devastated. Yeah. 
and you're really rebuilding multiple countries, including Russia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, economically, Russia was really hurting in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, people were starving. Uh, and so you, but what you do have happen is that gradually a number of these former Soviet states, Poland, Lithuania, they actually do start to join NATO. And of course, NATO in, in, in the 40s had a very clear mission to right. defend ourselves from the Soviet Union, right? right? It's, it's, it's anti a defensive Russian. treaty. It's anti, it's a defensive treaty. Uh, my father-in-law was in the Navy in the 1950s, and instead of being in Korea, his ship was stationed in the Mediterranean. And he'll tell you, we were there to keep an eye on the Russians. That's right. It was a block. Um, and so there really was this idea that this is what NATO's for. It is a defensive yeah. pact against Russia. And what that and I think what this gets at too is something that maybe it's hard for us to appreciate is that Russia does Russia's got this torn identity. They're partly Western St. Petersburg. Yes. yes. Peter is there, the idea of Lenin, very Western communist ideas, but and then it's got this very Eastern Asian yes. right Russia, if you, if you ever notice the old czarist emblem has an eagle looking in two directions. Yes. Right? Yes. And this is where Russia is. It's looking west and it's looking yes. east. And What's happened in the in the Soviet Union under communism was it was trying to have this Western influence, global communism, yep. and and trying to get countries to embrace communism, and that's why there's a Cold War. And Russia sets up Eastern Europe to spread communist ideas west, and of course they hit your, the the Marshall Plan. They hit the success of, of Western capitalism, and it just stops, yep. and Eastern Europe does not succeed. But the idea that Russia has now conceded after this to a Western mentality with Western values and Western politics and Western culture is not the case. And one thing that people forget about Putin is that many Russians were very angry. The Russian Civil War from the 1920s proved that many in Eastern Russia hated the idea of communism in the West. They wanted to be part of the Asian sort of bloc. They wanted to see themselves as Eastern. That's very much part of their consciousness. So when, and I, I think you're right, when Eastern Europe starts floating back into NATO, this is not neutral. Once that happens, Russia becomes isolated yes. in its Eastern construct, its Eastern mentality, its old Russian empire. And so this, for us, which just seems like a natural gravitation, we move back into the West, there's normal, liberal yeah. democracies, market capitalism, and all this sort of thing, EU, whatever, NATO, all that seems very natural, is for many Russians, not all, but for many, certainly Putin, is a move against Russia. Yes. Because at some point, they're going to become isolated economically and militarily. Yes. And so what happens then from there, and I think even into, um, even into the last 10 years or so, um, has been the fact that America, in order to hit at what we consider to be a backwards, out-of-date country, Russia and Putin, who we don't like, is to actually aggressively expand NATO into countries that, at one point, we're not sure whether they're going to go east or west on this, yeah, whether they're going to continue yeah. to be friends of Russia and give them some back, backing, give them some insulation from Europe. But we have been, the West has been very intentionally trying to drag these countries into NATO, sometimes through paying opposition forces or anti-Russian, yep. sometimes giving them money, sometimes secret handshake deals. In, um, there, was a, there was a decision in 2008 uh, that was made very intentionally to, to use Europe and the EU as a way of luring places like Ukraine back into NATO as, as much as you can, even though Ukraine is a very broken country. It's yep. got a lot of Russians in it, it's got Ukrainians. And it was pro-Russian at one point, but they were going to go now on, a, on an aggressive effort to get Ukraine back. So there's this long story that, that people did not hear because yeah. we weren't paying attention to most yeah. of us, that this has been a long contest. It's, there's, there's, it's weighty. It's very uh, important. 
meaningful for Russia. If they lose this Ukraine and it goes towards NATO, they become yeah. further isolated. Oh, it would be the they got an enemy on their borders. It would be the equivalent of if it was 1950 and Mexico joined the Warsaw Pact. Right. Right. Or let's say China created a global pact right now about a military alliance and Mexico wanted to join. Exactly. Right. It, it, so you can see where the geopolitical things are difficult and create these problems. So um, it, so it's complicated. Right. There's a lot of top spin right. to this. There's a lot of hard feelings, bad feelings, long memories. Um, and I think... The long-term future fears. Yes. And I think that's, that's one of the <clears> things <throat> where America really has probably... There are some scholars who understand Russian history. Yeah. Uh, but it seems so foreign and so different to yeah. us. But uh, it, 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 there's always this tension in Russia throughout history. Of, right. Are they in the West? Or are they in the East? Or are they their own thing? Yeah. Are they their own, you know, remember in, 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 when they become the third Rome, right? Yeah. So there's even a, a theological church oh, history yeah. thing baked in this that I think we should talk about when we're together. No, there's a messianic feel that there's, Russia feels are doing exactly, something very important in the so world. that's in there. The other thing I think it's really important, too, is so that sure. the, you have this space, too, uh, where, okay, so you can sort of say, okay, the West has been enticing a lot of these states to come into the NATO and we're going to really stick it to Russia. On the other hand, the, it, it, there's a weird phenomenon in Europe that I didn't realize until I spent some time there talking to people is that nobody in Europe wants to be from Eastern Europe. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're in Czech Republic and you say, well, is, what part of Europe is this? I'm like, oh, we're Central Europe. Mm. You're like, well, where's East Europe begin? <laughs> What's the next state over? Yeah, yeah. And they said, well, what happens is when you go to Poland, they'll say, we're not Eastern Europe. We're Central Europe. Belarus. Uh, Belarus, Ukraine, that's Eastern Europe. You go to Ukraine, they say, we're not Eastern Europe. We're, we're, we're European. Russia is. Mm. So when you have this idea that the West is somehow better, yeah. it, it, it's what you want to emulate. And at times, even Russia tried to do that. Mm -hmm. That's a long. That's an interesting dynamic mm -hmm. that we don't fully understand. Yeah. We don't fully. I mean, the closest maybe we get here is if you're northern or southern. Right? Yeah, right. But right. It, it's a dynamic. So in other words, it might not even take that much to entice certain European right. nations to want to become part of this Western thing because you're tapping into this sort of inferiority complex that's been yeah. building up for for, for yeah. centuries. Yeah, that's right. And I think. To add to that is a country like Ukraine, which has the two populations in it, that, that in fact the Western Ukrainians are very nationalistic. Yeah. Um, there are organizations that's not Western Ukraine is, but there are very highly patriotic nationalists, maybe fascist organizations, small military organizations, yeah. which came out um, in the revolutions there in 2014, the civil war that broke out in Ukraine. These elements are there, and they're very pro-Ukrainian on the West. But once you get out to the East, those populations shift very quickly to being Russian, not only Russian-born genetically, but Russian culturally, speaking yeah. Russian language. Right? Yeah. There, was, yeah. there was even 2014, Western Ukraine actually came out with laws trying to ban the use of Russian, speaking yeah. Russian. Right. Yeah. So the tension that we're talking about here between Russia and NATO, that actually boils down into Ukraine itself is torn in half exactly. between these two exactly. features. And those in eastern Ukraine, many of them want to belong to a Russian empire and not NATO. Yep. And many in Ukraine are trying to find in their nationalistic patriotism in Ukraine a place in NATO. So, yeah. and, and of course, the old history, too, that if a Russian empire began and was formed in Kiev, Kiev was the historic foundation of the kingdom of the Rus. Yes. Where, where Vladimir yes. the first right is converted in yes. 900, and, yes. and then it's moved to Moscow. Yes, which that move is very important because it then protects from Catholic Europe yes. and gives the Orthodox Russia a place to live. Yes, but then of course it then leaves this ancient home, which mm -hmm. still they feel they have they ought to possess, and and other ideas. Just you know, 
there's other things going on. Whether Russia, which has no landmass protection between Europe and Moscow because it's a wide open plain, yeah. Ukraine has some mountains. Does that become protection? So I think what we'd like to do, and, and as you could do some reading on this, as you think over the break, do your best as, as consumers, as Christian thinkers, to try to take in the breadth of the things going on. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think one thing that, that helps as a historian is I'm expecting complexity. <laughs> right? I expect... I'm expecting to be confused. I expect... <laughs> I ex- my gut... All, if someone says, here's why this is happening, and they give me a two-sentence or a paragraph and yeah. go, my gut says you're wrong. <laughs> That's absolutely wrong. I don't even know why yet, but I'm going to find out it's wrong. That I just had... I think we have this sort of habit of then digging into the next layer to try to find out what. And it doesn't mean that we don't make decisions and we don't make moral judgments. But we don't accept when someone says, this is why, and, and, and we got to solve it this way. Yeah. This historian is not the political theorist. He's not the politician. Yeah. She's not the policymaker. They're the ones that come in and go, I know you have to do something, but you've got to take into account the complexity of everything going yeah, on. We're always the ones saying, look what happened in the past. Well, a lot of times when you're seeing the policymakers, the political science people, the foreign affairs people, they're trying to figure out how to make decisions right, right now. now. Right, right. In uh, the fog of war. In the fog of war. And I think what, what we offer to this and what I'm hoping students will do is not, not that there isn't an opportunity to pray and focus on what we have to know, the, the, the protection of human life, but we also have to think through why this is happening so we don't get sucked up into these narratives and overreact without thinking things through. And, I, and if I can kind of put a period on it, I think as if we're going to think Christianly about these things and biblically, the other adjective there is there needs to be a sense of humility. Yeah, amen. Right? That history amen. should make us humble. But also viewing these things humi- humbly, realizing there are a lot of people who are very passionate about these things right. and things we don't quite understand. Right. And, you know, so be careful whose tweets you're following. Right. right. If you if you're following someone who tweets they should throw Russia out of NATO, that's <laughs> something you should probably right. not stop right. listening to. Because be discerning. They don't know. Be discerning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank this time, Dr. Yeah. Draper. For all of you out there, look for the um, this, the, the guide, the lib yeah. guide that will yeah. come along with this. And then you'll be getting an announcement about um, the event on March 21st, 25th, which will be an opportunity to talk through and ask some questions about this. If you have any questions or anything's concerning you, Dr. Draper's here, I'm here, other professors are around. Yeah. Don't, don't just sit and stew over this. Come talk to someone about it.